0: Well, in this week's Southeast Stagnet Ag review for the week ending September 25th, while the U.S. Senate did reauthorize mandatory livestock price reporting this past week, National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Vice President of Government Affairs, Colin Woodall, says they actually left a critical provision out.
1: The critical provision that's missing is the emergency authority language that would basically make mandatory price reporting an essential function of government, meaning that in the case of government shutdown, these Market reports would still be published. When you go back to 2013, the last government shutdown we had during that entire time frame, we didn't have any market access reports, and so unfortunately, not only did you have a tool not available for producers to use in making marketing decisions, but it also had an impact on everything from calculating different contracts, the CME, to a lot of the the branded programs and the contracts associated with them as well. So it had a ripple effect throughout all the beef marketing chain.
0: Woodall says price reporting is a necessity.
1: Price reporting is a necessity to allow that transparency needed to make sure that cattle producers know what the market's about, know what's going on, what the value of their cattle are, and to be able to make the decisions that are best for them. That's why it boggles the mind to us that Senator Stabenow, who is the ranking Democrat on the Senate Agriculture Committee and somebody who should be looking out for producers, is the one responsible for pulling that emergency authority out of the Senate version. We just don't understand why she would do that because it really does cause producers to be the ones that lose because they will not have access to that information. It will not have the information they need to market their cattle, and that's unfortunate.
0: And due to these differences, the legislation now must be conferenced with the House and signed by the President prior to expiration on September 30th.
1: The House has to reconsider this because their version had the emergency authority included. So since the Senate version does not, the House has to pass it once again, and so they are in a very tight timeline. They have to get it done by the middle of next week or this program expires, and we uh, do not want that to happen.
0: Still in other news, we had a story last week that Agnet Media founder and President Gary Cooper was in France for a big 50th anniversary event for HM Close. While there, he talked with their CEO, Matthew Johnston, about how this farmer-owned and operated company has developed over the course of more than a couple of centuries to grow and become a global leader in specialty crop and vegetable seed research and production.
1: You all, when you're in product development, you involve your farmers. I've spoken to some farmers that use your seed and work with you guys to develop those new products, but consumers are your focus, so your customers and their ultimate customers you're even into taste and aroma and and the various things that consumers want tell us how all that ties together
0: well we consider that our job and our and and our paycheck comes from the farmers that we serve and uh... our job is to build products that will enable them to be successful with their customers and their customers are those retailers and and marketers of produce whose ultimate user of the product is a consumer so if if we don't take a strong consideration of what the consumer wants in a tomato or pepper or melon, uh, then we're not serving our farmer customer. And so we, we have an obligation and a duty and a, and a requirement uh, to help them understand uh, what can be done through plant breeding and product development to allow them products and varieties that they can produce on their farms and their conditions and their uh, horticultural practices that will enable them to serve their customer. More of Johnston's comments can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. During the recent court case concerning former officials with the Peanut Corporation of America, the federal court judge defended the peanut itself. Tyron Spearman has that story.
2: Federal court judge Louis Sands took time to defend the peanut during the recent sentencing on the Salmonella case. Judge Sands said the peanut has played a long history in agriculture and in manufacturing in this state. He said, modern agriculture reminds us when king cotton ended its reign because of the boll weevil, and peanuts saved southern agriculture. He recalls his uncle, who grew what they called ground peas at that time. The judge described the work of the Tuskegee Institute professor, George Washington Carver, in his 1916 bulletin, How to Grow the Peanut and 105 Ways to Preparing It for Human Consumption. He said, whether you call it a goober, a ground pea, or a ground nut, or some other name, The peanut wasn't on trial. In fact, the verdict was in on its value a long time ago. He said the nutritional value of peanuts have spread them everywhere. To say that the peanut is an important food would be an understatement. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet.
0: And in light of the recent sentencing of those former Peanut Corporation of America officials for their involvement in that 2009 salmonella outbreak, it's kind of nice to be reminded that something good did come from all of that. Brianna Bullard has that story.
3: The Peanut Proud Festival started as a simple way to show everyone that Blakely is still proud of their booming peanut industry, despite the bad publicity of one peanut company. Lee Jean Manry of Birdsong Peanuts was the heart and soul behind the first Peanut Proud Festival, which drew almost 2,000 people. She sat down with us and talked about how the idea for Peanut Proud came about. We at Birdsong... Could not just sit back and be in the middle of that because, you know, our facility was in Blakely. Jean said originally they were just going to hand out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the square, but the idea quickly grew into more of an expo. It just sort of spread like wildfire, and the whole peanut industry came together. It was very successful. We had politicians here to speak. We had entertainment on the square, and we had farm equipment shown all over the square. We really didn't have vendors or anything like that. We had a few fun things for the kids, but families came out in support of the crisis, that we had in the industry and in our community. We saw a change after that, after a period of time. We saw things slowly start to improve and get better. So from that, we had the second peanut proud, a celebration. And from that, we just couldn't stop. So every year, we had a celebration to celebrate the peanut and what it means to our economy, because out of something bad, now we had something very good. For Southeast AgNet, I'm Brianna Bullard.
0: And to wrap up this week's podcast, Ever Grinder talks about the citrus industry and how it's being affected.
4: I use simple abbreviations because I can't pronounce the words H-L-B or A-C-P. Now, if you live in Florida, California, Arizona, or Texas, you know these are terms that define the disease problem that's destroying the American citrus industry. We'll conquer it someday, but it's hurting right now. Florida has lost more than any other state, but it's hurting all of them. Over 800,000 acres before, just over 500,000 acres now. That's over 100,000 acres of abandoned citrus trees, but this is even worse. Maybe 15,000 jobs gone forever, but the citrus industry is not dead. Arizona losses continue to climb, same in California and Texas. Meanwhile, efforts to find a way to stop both diseases continues. And researchers are confident it won't be long. So just keep enjoying that morning drink of orange juice. It's still good for you. That's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner,
0: Southeast Agnet. You can hear those reports and more from this past week at our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.